Meanwhile... Hey, y'all. Welcome back to part two of our attempt to make an ethical case for why performance-enhancing drugs may not be all that bad. Thanks for sticking in here. And if you didn't listen to episode one, go back and listen to that. Otherwise, just enjoy the ride. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... We're, we're pretty far into this podcast, and I don't mean to open a new window that could take us longer. Um, but Andy, JB, what do you think about, uh, as technology improves, uh, genetic manipulations or improvements on the hardware you're born with, and whether that's body stuff, whether that's brain stuff, so that eventually they'll get to not where they can just fix something that's wrong disease-wise, but hey, we're going to boost your memory, we're going to boost your cognitive firepower or whatever it is, would you be okay with those kinds of performance enhancement or does that feel awkward? Like, are we talking about a new person that we're going to genetically create to be a great baseball player or an existing baseball player who we replace their arm with a more powerful arm? Uh, more the first one, but any kind of improvement. But for me, I'm thinking more the first one of you, you either raise a kid and you're improving their genetics or at a certain point when you see they have an aptitude for this sport oh, I'm going to do some genetics to get you more uh, fast twitch muscle fibers versus slow twitch because right. you play this kind of sport. So we're going to boost your performance in this area. Oh, yay. I get to talk about Star Trek on this sports podcast. <laughs> I knew you Take were. Take it and run. I knew it. Yay. So in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the doctor character, Dr. Bashir, was illegally genetically enhanced as a child. And mm-hmm. there's this whole scandal about it because... Uh, in Star Trek, they outlawed genetic enhancement uh, because when they had genetic enhancement, it created these supermen like Khan, who went around trying to mm. take over the world and kill William Shatner and so on and so on. So they outlawed genetic enhancement, but they said, you were a slow child. You were not going anywhere. We did this illegally because we wanted a better life for you. You passed as a normal human being. You graduated second in your class from Starfleet Medical. And look at the millions of people mm. that you have helped because you cured these diseases. You you helped other people on the spaceship, on the space station. And doesn't that then mean the ends justify the means? To a certain extent, yes. I think I am okay with that. Uh, and I, I I think that is a new frontier for sports. And I think the the question is then uh, if we start genetically enhancing players so that basically anybody who could play at the major league level at this point could now conceivably hit a home run anytime up to bat. Do we need to move the field? Do we need to change how far? Uh, that mm. is. Are we suddenly playing football on a 200-yard field instead of 100 yards, and and so on? And I think that mm-hmm. uh, I think that that is what makes it interesting because everybody wants to see some more sweet dunks. And if we can uh, do genetic modification to <laughs> you know uh, to make it so that everybody can do that, I'm I'm kind of all for it. What do you think, JB? <sighs> I think the competitive nature of the sports themselves would have a problem with it because I don't think you could do it equivalently where everybody has the same benefit at the same Mm -hmm. time. 
So I think that the system itself would probably have big problems with it unless you did it really gradually. Like Tommy John surgery, at first everyone's kind of like, well, this seems really strange, and now everybody gets one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the system passed it off as a corrective, mm-hmm. like Andy's saying, you could probably get away with it. Where, uh, look, everybody's just getting faster and stronger. All we're doing is leveling the playing field for everyone. Let's go ahead and do it. I think we're still having problems with what we do in labs when it comes to plants and animals and GMO and those kinds of things. So Andy, I know we've talked about this a little bit. I think we're going to have to get past the whole genetic modification in general as a society before we're going to be okay with superhuman sports players. But I think when we get to that point, it's it's the next logical step. I think there's still such a um, component against any sort of genetic modification, then I think it would be a big hesitation in sports, even mm-hmm. though that would be the first frontier where you would think people would be. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, I want to, like Andy, to your point, of course, I want to see someone run a three, five, 40. What a fantastic thing that would be. Well, no, it would be terrifying because mm-hmm. um, that's faster than my car can go, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think it's more of the entire component of genetic modification still being the hesitation, mm-hmm. um, but that eventually going away bringing it back to the normal life should a harried and tired and stressed parent be able to get access to steroids for recovery i believe they can on a regular basis in the same way that they would take tylenol for their headache should i just be able to go get steroids for hey this helps you recover when you're you got a lot going on and you're you're kind of breaking down a little bit well it's like how many people are currently on antidepressants where Mm -hmm. for whom that would otherwise mean that they have a you know a much harder existence and that's you know that is about supposedly a return to you know normalcy yeah so Mm -hmm. uh should normal people be able to get steroids i mean technically i have steroids in my house right now because i have a kid who has asthma and and Mm -hmm. you know when when the air quality is terrible and uh, something happens, we've got we've got prednisone to like you know take the take the edge off of that. Well, that's not the exciting steroid because nobody <laughs> takes that. No, anymore. that's not the exciting yeah. steroid, well, but it is a. Steroid. I think the first frontier of that is going to be marijuana. Yay! Because I think marijuana marijuana <laughs> is already what that drug is mm-hmm. for most people, right. and I think that's again that same idea where that frontier is currently trying to be crossed where everyone feels like they have access to a drug which may improve their lives in some way yeah return them to normal because i think antidepressants they're finding return some people to normal but with side effects that regress them further Mm -hmm. and further away in some cases as as you and i've talked about so i think the answer to your these are all excellent questions that i think are sort of being dealt with in different parts of society right now and have not come to any fruition quite yet Mm -hmm. but once they do i think that's that's the next step um i think you'll see that with probably human growth hormone before steroids where you're going to see a lot of people going i feel like my cartilage is just wearing down my joints hurt all the time well everybody's going to get on hgh and i'm keeping an eye on stallone and see how it's working yeah Uh, the 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 whole jimmy dean sausage part isn't quite as effective (laughs) but um yeah, I, th- I think that's probably to your point. I think you're going to see uh, probably in our lifetime mm-hmm. a wide influx of 65 to 70 year old people going, I need some stuff. I'm going to get HGH for the next 20 years and it's going to do whatever it does for me. Um, 
and it will probably work better than I think there's a massive change going to happen with the the baby boomers retiring because there's so much concentrated wealth there is so much of a demand to continue to try to be youthful mm-hmm. uh that there that's that's just a reality yeah agreed well the Viagra started that right and 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 it's just going to continue more which more. also by the way so. performance in enter <gasps> Dare right. you. How dare you? So <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up in this case, but yeah, I think uh, I think what the the ethics, the difficulty with discussing whether something is ethical is how quickly society changes to approve what was unethical before. Mm-hmm. Thirty years ago, marijuana. Oh, what mm-hmm. a horribly unethical. You know, way to do it and counterculture and all this stuff. You're a stoner. And now, now here you have kids with epilepsy being cured, or at least their symptoms ameliorated, and mm-hmm. people with cancer pain who their cancer pain goes away when they use marijuana. Yeah. And, and yeah, lots of hypocrisy and mendacity out there in the world, right? For but all this stuff. And right? I, th- I think that to your point, as the hypocrisy changes because they see more and more results from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. I think eugenics human growth hormone improving the body the way that you have it now is just the next wave of it. I think Rogaine and Viagra were very poor initiators compared yeah. to what's really going to be yeah. out there. And, and hashtag we're not pro eugenics. Just, I mean, that's even, it's no, no, no storyline, but, but yeah, but we may not be, we may not be pro actually the ethics of performance enhancement. We're just saying <laughs> that you can make a case for it. So we're not making a case for eugenics, but thank you. Yeah. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd soften it a little bit. No. Um, Very much anti-eugenics, uh, but yes, yeah. Right. But but if I could if I could insert a gene into me to make me thinner, I would be right there. Well, and you're mm-hmm. I mean you're seeing people do that already with the genetic testing for their unborn children. Right. I mean there right. are going to be certain um, def- I want well, I want to say deformities, but manifestations of genetic problems that are could be eradicated because mm-hmm. people will just choose not to have children that have those. Right. And powers that be will either eventually agree to that or they'll keep mm-hmm. fighting about it and um again all of these things are just the next wave which we complained about antidepressants and mm-hmm. marijuana and alcohol right. and i think it's interesting when andy said about the thin gene piece that i think there is that judgment piece right that's almost similar to sports where if i you know get a crossfit uh, buddy or i do it myself that's better if I was naturally like, oh, you had to take some weight loss pills or, oh, you got the, you know, laparoscopy, you yeah. got some surgery. Oh, well, you, you took the cheater's way out. You know, you didn't do it the right way. Right. Like we're still super judgmental about that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think the, but that's also, again, back to your point, that's competition mm-hmm. because the thinness aspect is the competitive part of society in, in normal cases in right. a lot of ways we're not competitive about am i gonna hit more home runs than you we're competitive of am i do i look like a more appropriate partner for a larger number of people because mm-hmm. i have this many abs or mm-hmm. this and this and that i have one ab and it is giant <laughs> yeah yours you called it a keg once i think <laughs> yes more of a, it's a functional ab yeah all right so i think we've beat around this enough let's see if we can go back to your original questions and try and figure out can we argue that the additional greatness that performance enhancement brings uh, can be ethical and is that greatness worth it can we make some sort of 
ethical case for right. performance enhancement. So if, if you'll indulge me, let's take this from a couple of different angles. I think if we look at independent theories, let's say, of ethics, and those of you who are interested, we will have a subsequent podcast about these and probably some, some blog posts about it. So uh, if, if you feel a little behind on ethical theories, just know that there's other material on our site for you. Go check out uh, Wikipedia. I think. Jeez, be ethical. Oh, or the or the or IEP, the the Internet Encyclopedia of, of Ethics. You, you can do all those those kind of things. Um, I think four main things stick out. So we can take it from, for instance, a virtue ethics perspective, where we talk about the cardinal virtues of of things like temperance and courage and wisdom and. Uh, sincerity, self-respect, some of the follow-up virtues. I think most virtue ethicists would probably say that any type of substance use is likely not going to count as an ethical behavior, even though it it sure. could lead to eudaimonia, right? That kind of thing. But let's focus on these other three because I'm interested in your take. The first one would probably be a utilitarian perspective. And if you look at it from pleasure, pain, or good, bad, in your mind, would you see it as an individual taking performance enhancement is maximizing not only their individual pleasure, but the pleasure of the society uh, by being the best at yes. their field? So Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds hitting monstrous home runs, people going to their game with their fa with their family, reveling in the greatness. What's your take on, on that perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's kind of my problem with uh, taking everything on a purely utilitarian level all the time. We're looking at everything post hoc after the fact and saying like, well, what maximized uh, our greatness? What maximized our happiness here? And it can end up being an exercise in self-justification. And you can sort of justify anything. Oh, well, I maximized my utility here. Okay, great. Good for you. Um, I I think, though, it it does, in a sense, do it. Because in a, in a mathematical sense, more performance enhancement equals more home runs, uh, faster pitches, spectacular games, better dunks, faster swimming times whatever you want, it, people will enjoy it more. And uh, on top of that, if we're going back to the idea that okay. this is in some ways corrective, uh, we're asking these athletes to do incredible physical labor. And uh, some of this may be corrective, getting them back to zero, back to the mean after, you know, just doing their job is very hard. So I, I think you can definitely make a utilitarian case for it i would argue though that a utilitarian ethical decision is no ethics at all yeah i, I you <laughs> i am very familiar with your <laughs> perspective on utility and i and i am not totally opposed to that i i think i tend to skew more towards moore's perspective which is the greatest good separate from pleasure and pain which involves having good character you know having knowledge of the world and what is causes more good or more bad. I think his bridges closer to the, we need to consider justice, individual rights, that kind of thing. And his may be the only portion of utility that says you may cause significant harm to the individual in the long term. And that may be the issue where performance enhancers may be in, in your point, not under the auspice of a medical professional or responsible use, maybe a problem 
from a utility perspective because we're asking so much of an individual uh, that their eventual unhappiness isn't worth it to the rest of us. But but let's bridge that into sort of a the duty theory. And I mean, we can we can talk about the, the initial theories with duties to oneself and others, but maybe we take it from a pure Kantian perspective or, or a Rossian perspective. In this case, I wonder if performance enhancement may fall to the wayside in that I don't know if you can make a universal maxim of if I take them, everyone should be able to take them in any situation at any time. Now, I recognize that in some ways that goes against the initial idea of most people do something to enhance their performance, whether it's LASIK or sleep meds or ibuprofen. I think those are a little bit more of innocuous examples. So what do you think from the the larger deontological perspective? Do we get the same outcome as we did with utility or is this one a little different? No, I think it's, it is a little different. I think you can still make that determination. It definitely is hard to make a universal application here because individuals are unique. How we metabolize drugs is going to be different just based on our individual needs and our individual bodies. And so what might be 100% corrective for one person will be extremely performance enhancing to another and may not even be uh, getting a, a person C back to the bean. So uh, it's hard to make a universal law because everyone is so different. So I'd agree with you on that. And let me raise another point that I'm interested in. I'm, another one of Kant's perspectives is doing things as an end instead of a means to an end. And the issue of the motive in deontology is the key. So if you think about is an individual taking performance enhancers motive to take everyone with them on this journey to ends that are appropriate for all humankind, right? So my duty is to ensure my actions lead to everyone else's actions being of a universal maxim and that we're all doing this together. I'm not stepping over anyone. Part of me wonders if there is that egoism of I'm going to use this to my own gratification to make the most money I can those kinds of things. So I think the universal law, much more difficult than in some ways performance enhancement, does seem to lead to more of a means to an end rather than an ends decision. Like we talked about, if I'm a stockbroker and I take a bunch of cocaine so I can make a million dollars instead of $10,000, well, I'm doing that for self-interest, not necessarily for the good of my company, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of what right. I'd say. So yeah, it, it becomes really ethically tricky, but you could say, I'm a, a sports star is an entertainer and what they are doing to provide more entertainment for more people is a good societal end. And therefore going towards that is good as long as is indeed virtuous for everyone involved, regardless of the, the bonuses they may get financially for it or the, the stardom they may receive. Right. I think where we would see deontology really come into play is the fact that so many sports stars come out and have to say, don't use what I did to such a large portion of the population. Right. I think in the utility aspect, the kid angle, for instance, is very different than the deontological aspect, right? In utility, you go, look, I'm making all these children happy. They're there with their fathers having a wonderful time. Whereas in deontology, you go, please don't take this at eight 
Right. Um, so I think I think there may be a an age spectrum or a, in the eye of the beholder perspective that is slightly different because of that maxim component. Right. So and and one thing we should point out here, I think we need to be very clear: we are only talking about adults in professional sports. Right. We are right. like. I would never make an ethical case that someone in a youth league or in high school should be using any sort of performance enhancement. Absolutely not. Uh, a 25-year-old baseball player, we could talk about it. Yeah, and that's that. And again, to your point, in a lot of ways we could say as an adult we, we get the choices that we do because we are capable of making that decision. But let me segue that into a social contract theory. I think the premise of, you know, the whole Rousseau quote, man was born free and he is everywhere in chains is a very interesting segue between deontology and social contract because I could slightly make a case that the universal maxim is people who have are of sound mind and are responsible and an adult uh, could could make a case that anything they do within the bounds of societal rules is an ethical decision and something they could make a universal maximum. But I think that societal piece is something that you and I talked a lot about. The system in a lot of performance enhancing cases is making the regulation of what the individual does or doesn't do. And I think when we talked about baseball earlier, I think in a lot of ways, the system is very flexible as long as it benefits the system itself. Right? Let's, let's not use a euphemism there that it's being flexible. It is immoral or maybe even immoral. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to say immoral per se, but I. I think it is. It bends the yes. ethical rule yes. to serve itself. Um, I think the, and that's where this social contract piece is really interesting. And you brought up the point about more of a, like a Lockean example. So, uh, right. Kind so of flesh that out, and let's talk more about that. One of the aspects of social contract theory is. If there is a law that has been passed by a democratic majority, then you should abide by that law, even if you happen to disagree with it. Uh, and therefore, if there is an unjust law, you should try and change it through other means. Now, you can make uh, an argument a la Henry David Thoreau, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., that there is a moral imperative to break unethical laws because they are unethical but i do not think that you can make the case that uh making a rule that you cannot use performance enhancement is uh the same thing as jim crow so, uh i think that argument falls flat and but then we come back to this thing where in a sort of moral vacuum of is is it right or not to use performance enhancement? It's like, okay, well, then what's the law? Well, then we could just change the law. We could change the rule about which drugs you can and cannot take the same way we could change the infield fly rule. We could make the bases further apart. Right. And if we change the rule, then it's it's okay because that's all we're doing. As long as everyone agrees to abide by the same set of rules, and uh, this, the system whereby they were put in place is just in and of itself, then you should abide by them. The problem that we have is the opposite of that. We have a set of rules that is imposed by a league 
with a nod and a wink saying, hey guys, don't use performance enhancement, wink, wink, which really means don't get caught using performance enhancement. But otherwise, they, what they don't know, they're fine. Yeah, and I think with one of the, the things that we talk a lot about is the, the, the system can't keep up with the, the ways that people engage in performance enhancement. And I, I think that's common across all levels of society, not just you know, in, in specific sports leagues. I, I think there are so many ways that people make it through the day. Uh, that employers don't pay that much attention to or, you know, church groups, community groups, even parenting. I mean, I think there's such a variety of ways that people pass societal rules, even though perhaps if we were to look at it in, you know, the stricter terms, like you said, if we change the rules, all of a sudden that becomes a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, you and I talked a lot about all sorts of things, whether it's Prozac or pain relievers. I mean, all of those kinds of things, sleep meds, all of those kinds of things are by essence getting people through the day. And the only difference is that most people are doing them in a system that doesn't hold them back for doing so. Uh, and I think, like you said, anybody could change the system, change the rule to be able to do that. And people uh, have a far less, far fewer problems with someone taking Adderall than they would taking a steroid, even though Adderall is basically low-grade meth. It's a good amphetamine <laughs> to, to get you back to the mean. That's, that's the right. Way. And that's, that's another good point about social contract is the terms of the social contract. So you say the word steroid, and in baseball, it's a cardinal sin, whereas at your local gym, a little bit more commonplace. Right. Whereas if you say Adderall, people go, oh, well, everybody's on Adderall. I mean, that's how I take my exams or what have you. To your point earlier, even some of the terminology in the social contract is what really binds people, not the action itself, per se. If that exactly. if that kind of is part of what you were talking about. Yep. So I think what it kind of boils down to is it's kind of an ethical wash. Right. When we look at all these different ways to view performance enhancers. Absolutely. And I think if we're looking at the individual level, then you can say, you can make an argument that as long as a person is not being forced to use it, they're doing it of their own choice, they're of a sound mind and body, uh, they're an adult, they're doing it with medical supervision, and the main purpose of this performance enhancement is a return to the mean, uh, and their use of it is not preventing them from being a, a whole functioning person in society the way that, say, uh, addiction to uh, opioid painkillers might if, uh, if, if abused. Then that, on a personal level, can be ethical. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, I think, and the other point that I was going to ask you about is, I think the other difficult thing is the the ladders at which people can engage in the in the behavior. So I think if you look at it from some of the strict ethical criteria, your the point that you raise is very sound. I think the difficulty comes into play where person X who is an established sports star who makes X amount of money has a much easier time with it than the person who has to mortgage portions of their life to be able to do it. And Agreed. I think that's where we run into some difficulties is the the discrepancy 
in which it's someone is capable of obtaining the necessary enhancers to say remain competitive um, and I think we didn't touch much on that because I think we were trying to make the ethical component that we have such a difficulty with these weird standards uh, but I think that's one of the things that people are always cautious about the the level playing field and I think the the difference in you know economic capability or education about side effects is is a is an entirely different structure when it comes to al- us allowing this to be in in play I don't have anything to add to that <laughs> so the other thing I know we we spend a lot of time on these last theories talking about it from a sports perspective but and I know Andy I think one of the things I'd I'd be interested in your thoughts is do these theories hold true ethically for musicians let's say who have a little more vague rule about the use of drugs what do you what do you think about you know utility and deontology and social contract in the music perspective yeah I think it fails much more because we're talking in many cases about very different kinds of drugs and especially when we talk about deontology you need to be able to choose. And once you are on something that is addictive, I, I think you lose that ability to choose. And, uh, and, and it can create harm for you. Again, there's no way to make a universal application because, as we said, some people have the addict gene and they will become alcoholics with a small amount of alcohol. There are people who can drink to excess and be fine. So how do we balance that in a moral universe? Well, it depends. Uh, We can talk about someone like Michael Jackson, who was using prescription drugs prescribed to him by a doctor under supervised medical care, and it ended up killing him. Um, You know, we lost Prince and Tom Petty to prescription painkillers. Uh, and and they weren't even getting high off of it necessarily. They were just taking medicine. So, um, you know, I think it's it's very very different when we're talking about the the drugs that musicians might take, because there's a a level where the performance enhancement that we might get becomes too dangerous and can't be justified because we'll lose more people. We'll lose more Jimi Hendrixes and Keith Moons and John Bonhams and uh, Janis Jollins and Amy Winehouse's. You know, I think you raise an interesting point. And the thing I wonder is, I wonder from the social contract perspective, if we are expecting a different contract with the musicians than we do with athletes. Absolutely, we do. Yeah, again, we talked about it a little earlier. It's almost like we expect musicians to do whatever it takes to create the best song and we're not angry at them for doing it. Whereas we have this weird perspective of, well, I also want my athlete to, you know, hit tremendous home runs and make tremendous dunks, but don't be on anything that causes you to do that. Wink, wink. Right. Right. So I, I wonder if the pressures are even different in that, one feels like, I mean, they both feel like they have to perform, but one is almost given a pass, which makes that deontological point you raised so much more difficult for musicians. 
because of the more accepted outcome of it. Absolutely. And and so I, I think that one of the key things that whenever we're making this ethical argument, one of the things I think we've repeated several times in this is the need to undercut all of the hypocrisy here. And uh, that any any sense that this is all about cheating is is just a it's just a really reductive take on something that's actually very complicated and and it's not applied anywhere else in society so i i think we can't apply it here equally we're giving both groups of people legal drugs but one of them's doing it to the point where they die seems like a very strange line where like from an ethical perspective you can say these people are both receiving the appropriate medication but then one group takes their own life and one group doesn't is it the personality that draws it to the field itself you know where the the creepy no i think it's i think it's the fact that steroids or human growth hormone or testosterone are not habit forming okay they don't they don't turn on that pleasure center in your brain that that makes you feel really good and so you're not chasing a high when uh, when you're performance enhancing, uh, it's it's very different. Uh, I think I'm sure that athletes feel a high when you know you hit a walk off home run, but it's it's not the same as you know a, a sense of inebriation. I guess my final question before we get into what's good is: after all of this discussion, Andy, do you think that the extra greatness from performance enhancement is worth it? Yes, because I don't I think that there is a smaller amount of measurable harm and people generally are enjoying it, especially to the extent that what is happening is corrective, then it is definitely worth it because we're helping people to be at their best. Uh, and 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 that's fine. I, I can find a lot less harm in a system of performance enhancement than I can in uh, other forms of drug use. I would probably say the extra greatness is likely worth it to the individual themselves, but I think the system variables have created such a weird, toxic environment around performance enhancing use in all of those forms like we talk about. I mean, here's musicians who are putting themselves at risk um, because of I what I would consider variables around them whether it's public pressure or uh, you know performance necessities Uh, same thing with athletes I I think to your point the the issue that I have is that I think you can make the case that the extra greatness the performance enhancement is worth it to the individual but we've got to get the system on board to say this is what we will allow this is what we won't allow and this is why we think those things are important uh, because this whole system of, like you said, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is okay, this isn't, this is fine if you don't get caught. I think it creates this quagmire of nobody knows how to best take care of themselves as an individual, whether it's corrective, whether it's creative, whether it's insightful bearing. I don't think anybody knows what the system expects. Uh, and I think that's what creates this ethical paradigm of, and, and, and difficulty is we don't know what the rules are 
and we can't set up the appropriate system to allow people free choice. Agreed. Okay. So is uh, I think I think we've mostly talked everything we we can out of this. So let's move on to this week in greatness. Uh, this week in greatness, we're going to talk about something that is great that we love. That is a recommendation for you, the listener, to go and check out. Uh, do Do you have something, or should I go ahead and go first? I, I want to. I'll start. And it's not about eugenics. Okay, that's important. Um, I want a big shout out to LeBron for building his school. Yes. Those of you who don't know, LeBron built a public school called the I Promise School. Some of the highlights is uh, it's not only for the students learning, but it also provides things like yoga, uh, meditation, things for stress relief for the kids. It does job placement for the parents, has a food bank. Um, the, the kids get a bike. Um and, and, you know, learning about how to use, how to do their daily life activities. Um, but the thing that I'm most impressed of is if you graduate, it guarantees you free college tuition to the University of Akron, right? For, for I think it starts in 2021, something like that. But I, I think it's, it's a big STEM program. Um, he's, they, they've all created kind of a, a combination of uh, public school, but bringing things into the home, making sure the parents are taken care of. Uh, you know, and I just, I think it's such a cool thing. Uh, Joe and I both being in and around education and you with kids. Um, I, I wish that we could use more of our funds to create, uh, this as a society because it, it creates all of the logical steps where students have problems. It's not just, you know, uh, Joe and I talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy, where if you can't have your initial needs taken care of, how in the world are you supposed to learn and self-actualize? And I think this is one of the first examples where I've seen someone actually go, yeah, you're right. If you don't feel safe, if your parents aren't taken care of, if you have stress at home, if you're not, if you're not fed, you're not going to learn. Mm-hmm. So let's create a school that actually does all that and guarantees you a future where you can be self-actualized. So a uh, big, big shout out to LeBron. I think he gets a lot of flack in a lot of different ways. And all he ever does is just, uh, basically turn the other cheek and do do great stuff total so, loser so never heard of them yeah hashtag <laughs> hashtag come on the show and tell me if i said your name wrong LeBron James. LeBron but, uh, no, seriously. come on the show seriously thank thank you thank you lebron that's that is a really really cool that cool is thing, a really so. cool thing and also my my wife works in public ed as well so uh, i mean if if every school was like that school then that's it, it that's just amazing so and it could be we have enough money to do it, but we yeah, don't. We could. We don't. No, we gotta. We gotta do other stuff with that. And and no performance enhancement changes that. That the the amount that LeBron James has consistently given back to his community in Cleveland. I know people are upset that it's he's incredible. you know leaving Cleveland again, but he leaves behind that legacy and. I don't care what illegal drugs LeBron James may have done to do that. He's putting a bunch mm-hmm. of kids through college. What the f have you done? So, you know, I, exactly. I'm okay. With well, that. I think uh, I think I think he probably. I don't think Cleveland is yep. upset anymore. Right. I think what they finally realized is he carried that city mm-hmm. year after year after year, and I think the predominant feeling is that. Yeah, thanks for even coming back the next time because um, we didn't we didn't necessarily deserve what the team we mm-hmm. kept throwing out on the floor. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a much different vibe this time where he now can go and make more money in L.A. and then bring it back to 
his hometown, which I, I think is what he right. wants to do. So, Joe, do you have one? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, this past week, um, I wanted to highlight my uh, respect for and value of uh, the press in our nation and in, in the world if we went that high. But this past week, uh, over 300 newspapers ran a similar editorial all on the same day uh, in response to something our current president uh, mentioned that the press was becoming the enemy of the people. And all the editorials had a similar message in terms of, no, we're, we're not the enemy of the people. We're, we're a very important piece of this society. And although you may not always like our coverage and you can disagree with us and let's have a good argument trying to get to the truth, uh, castigating us as an enemy of the people uh, is probably not the best way to go about things. And so while they took different tacks on what that meant to them and each newspaper has their own uh, opinion and, and a little bit of a slant sometimes on whether they're uh, perceived as more liberal or conservative. They all kind of came together to say, uh, please stop saying this about us. It's important that people uh, do value the news. And we're one of the only jobs that's actually uh, discussed and protected in the Constitution uh, in terms of First Amendment freedom of press. You don't see a lot of other jobs in the Constitution, but that one is essential to our society. So it was uh, good to see them all come together on a similar page. Take that, lawyers. Jeez. <laughs> so yeah it this is funny that that we've all got something kind of similar we're all on the same wavelength because my thing that is great this week is voting um it's getting to be about the time where we're hitting uh the deadlines for when you can vote so please go find out when the deadline is if you are not currently registered to vote register to vote and make sure you vote this year why this is just very plain and simple math uh there are a lot of people out there who tell you your vote doesn't matter guess what all of the people who are telling you that are the people who are empowered by the current system because the only thing that actually threatens them is if everybody actually participated at the level that we needed to if uh people age 45 and under all voted at just the same levels that people over the age of 65 vote, we would have a vastly different looking country and Congress and so on. I'm not making value judgments about that necessarily. I'm not trying to say something partisan, but I am trying to say that participation really, really matters. So go find out where to vote. People have bled and died for the right for you to do that. Not just people in the military, but people who, uh, who you know, crossed the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and uh, fought for voting rights for everyone. So don't take it for granted. Don't stay home on November 6th. Please find out where to register to vote and get ready to vote. And be part of your councils. I know Joe is big into a variety of different councils, whether it's his city council you know, academic educational councils, it's really not hard to participate uh, civically. And that was, to those of you who aren't as familiar, that's going to be the big push of what Andy and I started this for, is to eventually create a more civic-minded idea. Greatness is just a piece of that, um, but civics is one of the big reasons we got together to start something like this. And you'll see a lot of civic stuff from us, but uh, involvement is the key. Uh, being a being a civic citizen is something that's lost 
I think to a lot of people and right. it's, it's really not a difficult thing. Um, Huzzah. That's Voting. right. So it's the least yeah. you can do. It really, it really <laughs> is. It's, I mean, for heaven's sake, they mail them to you in many States. Now, if right. you don't vote in, for instance, Utah, what are you doing? They mail it to you. They give you a stamp. All you have to do is get it out of the envelope. And it is a little complicated to put back in the envelope, but <laughs> all you have to do is fill out the stuff and, and turn it back in. And, uh, my addition to that, Andy, is don't just vote because it's one party. Like, do your research, especially locally, because yep. party line doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. There are a lot of different viewpoints across a lot of different things. Just because it says R or D or I doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. Everybody has a different viewpoint. Everybody comes from a different background. So if you have the time, please do your research on candidates, do your research on bills, especially if they jack your property tax up. <laughs> uh, and, and especially the ballot initiatives. I know for, for you in Utah, you've got a couple of them that are both really important and that people should think about very carefully. Yes, sir. Um, I am in, I am personally in favor of both of them. Uh, I'm not going to, I mean, we could talk more about those, but uh, I, I don't get to vote because I vote in Texas. So, uh, if you're listening to this and you live in Utah and you're undecided and you're like, hmm, I'm going to cast my ballot for Andy, I would not say no to that. My <laughs> family, uh, who could be helped by Prop 2, would, I, I would be very grateful for that. So. I'm going to look and see what it does to my property tax. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different one. <laughs> Good point. Everything Joe tells me to vote for, my property tax goes up, so I always have to be careful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, that's our big runny joke, Andy, is every time something comes on the, on the ballot, I'm like, what's he going to do to my property tax? Because it's always crafty. Yeah. Something for kids. I don't have any. <laughs> well, that was great. Well, I, I appreciate both of you. I, I, this one was a lot of is a lot of fun. I to those of you listening, it may not feel like we came to a consensus about what to do with the answers to those questions, but hopefully we left you with your ability to make the decision of what you want to do. I think that's the very nature of ethics in both how Joe and I teach it. Is it's to us, I think, especially to me, it's less important as to what ethical system you pull, but that you use it and you use it. Um, as appropriately and consistently as you can, because you are always faced with ethical decisions and having a full spectrum of systems, which you can choose from to stand behind is really, really crucial. So I would say both from utility and deontologically, both pragmatically and virtue ethics, you should really vote because there's <laughs> none of those theories is going to argue with you voting. And I just want to say thank you both for having me on again. Honored to be here. It's always good to have uh, critical thinking discussions. You don't get to have those as much in life anymore. And and uh, hopefully this can be a, a good launching pad for, for more of them between us and other people who listen in or just on their own. Yep. And and Andy would always say, give us, send us comments. Joe will be back. Uh, we've got two more we know scheduled with him. So uh, feel free to give him a shout out in the comments. Uh, tell him you like his voice, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but uh, Andy's, Andy, got, Andy's got way better radio voice than I do. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're all pretty good. I, uh, this was, this yeah. was really great. And without you all, I would have been saying Babe Ruth hit 67 home runs. So there you know, you know, uh, which he didn't ever <laughs> <laughs> until it's true. Then, then uh, that, that's the way it'll go right now. Right. 
right? Just keep repeating our mistakes. So, uh, but <laughs> eventually someone will. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to everyone for, for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us on the website, thehallofgreatness.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Hall of Greatness. You can find us on Facebook and uh, connect with us there. But until then, thanks for listening. Just remember, this could have been worse. Meanwhile, shut this off. Shut these all up. I'm warning you, turning off these machines would be extremely hazardous. I'll tell you what's hazardous. You're facing federal prosecution for at least a half a dozen environmental violations. Now, either you shut off these beams or we shut them up for you. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You shut that thing down and we are not going to be held responsible for whatever happens. No, we won't be. Shut it off. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice and never fail to be kind. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. Could be worse. And to make a long story short, too late. It's worse. Cut it off.